I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Dr. Rosalind Levbarg. Dr. Levbarg is a certified professional life coach. She is also founder of Roz Levbarg Coaching. Her mission is to empower women going through divorce and feeling overwhelmed to become calm and confident so they make better decisions, have happier kids, and better conversations with their ex. Rosalind is a living testimony of resilience and is here to share her insight about bouncing back and the strategies available to all to get through and beyond divorce. Welcome, Roz. Hi, so great to be here. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to all your folks. Very looking forward to that. Well, I am honored that you uh, agreed to be my guest. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to get into our discussion and conversation today because I think your story, your lessons learned, and the impact that you're making in the lives of others is going to be very helpful to our listeners today. So let's start with you sharing why, Roz, you are passionate about helping those going through divorce. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, I am very passionate, and it's based on my own personal experience. And I had what I think is kind of an unusual situation. Um, I was married for 28 years, and my children were adults when I finally left that relationship. And it was rather traumatic because I had gotten married right from my mother's house, when I was young, and so I really didn't even know too much about finding an apartment or what I was going to be doing. I did have a job. I was a professor at Temple University, so I did have a job. That was good. But mm-hmm. that was a really, you know, that was a tough time, uh, which I did get through. And um, a couple of years later, um, I would say it was about four years later, um, I met a man who I really felt was going to be my partner for the rest of my life. We shared values. We, we you know, we we really felt love for each other, and um, we did get married. And I moved out of town to be married to him. I gave up my job, and I gave up my apartment, and I moved out of town to a different state. And unfortunately, after a couple of weeks, I found out he was not the person that I thought he was, and. It was very traumatic how he was behaving, and I had to leave after 12 weeks. So mm. you can just imagine the trauma that I went through having to leave after 12 weeks, and I had no place to live, and I didn't have a job, and I, he canceled my car insurance. So I, was, I came back to my home state, my home city, and I really had nothing, and it was just devastating and I ended up staying with my married daughter for six months. And during that time, it was a real personal spiritual reckoning because I was devastated, I was humiliated, I was Mm -hmm. anxious and stressed, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't in any shape to go to work. And, excuse me, after a couple of months, I woke up one morning and I said to myself, Roz, you have a decision to make. When people tell your story in the future, when they get to the end, are they going to say, and that's what happened to Roz? (laughs) Or Mm -hmm. are you going to 
make a new chapter for yourself and write a happy ending? And what do you mm. need to do to make that happen? And I knew right away, I said, oh, no, there's no way. I am not going to have that be the end of my story. And mm. from that point, for the next couple of months, I was listening online and I was listening to all these podcasts and webinars and teleseminars and everything on positive psychology, personal development, spirituality, energy healing, coaching, uh, you know, everything positive and mindset work and meditation and constantly working on myself and working on my thoughts, not to have repetitive negative thoughts and not to have the negative loop going through. And, and little by little, I helped myself and I came out of it and I was able to, I got a, a job, I ended up and I, through all these things that I learned online, plus things that I uh, made up for myself, which I'm going to share some of them with you today, uh, that helped me go through. And then when I did get to the other side uh, and I started reading about positive psychology, a lot of the things that I was doing for myself that I'm going to share with you today have actually been proven in, in uh, research in positive psychology. So uh, mm-hmm. I was really thrilled to hear that. And uh, and I thought I knew that I wanted to be a coach and that I wanted to help other people get through to the other side in a strong and confident way. And I wanted to tell you that a year and a half after I left that relationship, I met a wonderful, warm, loving, generous, mm-hmm. affectionate, <laughs> devoted man to whom I'm married right now. We've been married for, we're going to be married six years very soon. So... Uh, it really does have a good ending, and I'm thrilled to say that I, I now have the training to help other people, and I've learned so many things since then, and that's what I'm sharing because I, I just think it's so important. There's something, this is such a fantastic story, and there's something in the story I just want to pull out because I think it's important for our listeners to capture. You had an awakening I don't know in what way it came about, but the awakening in that you said, wait, is this going to be my life ending? Is this going to be the ending of the story? Oh, poor Roz. Or am I going to rewrite the ending of my own life story? And from that decision, you started a journey of self-development and education. And I think that's powerful to point out because what sometimes happens is instead of this inner work we do that's necessary, we want to change the circumstances, the outward circumstances, like the other person or the people who are making us unhappy, the circumstances. But no, 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 you went a different route. You decided to go inward in order for your external world to follow what was going on in your internal world. Yes. Definitely, and I always tell people that I work with, we cannot change another person. We can only change ourselves, and I've had clients tell me that that was a huge awakening, and that was the beginning of really them turning things around for themselves instead of being angry and frustrated with the other person and how they're behaving and what they're saying and what they're doing, that they, and just, just to know, hey, can't change that person. And just knowing that that's a fact, it's like a huge burden in a way taken off of you because you don't have mm. nothing you can do about it, you know, but There's you can do something you do about, about yourself. And once you do, some of these other things kind of 
fade or they're not, I won't say they're not as important. It's important in a lot of ways, but it doesn't affect you the way it would in the past. Yeah, that's really rich. Let me go back into your story a little bit more also because there's something else here that intrigues me. You were married for, you said 27 or 28 years. Yeah, yep. Okay, so you were married for 27 years, and what gave you the courage to leave a 27-year marriage and go out on your own? It was a long time in coming. I had thought about it for many years. It wasn't the kind of thing where I was abused, you know, physically or, you know, I was in some ways, but more, you know, it was kind of like a chipping away. That's what I felt like when I was in that relationship. There was a lot of, like, you know, undercurrent and bickering and just chipping away and chipping away. And I just felt there was less and less of me inside mm-hmm. from a spiritual point of view, just chipping mm-hmm. away, you know, critical, being critical mm-hmm. and picking away. And, um, you know, I I didn't have full – my opinion wasn't that important and what I wanted wasn't that important. You know, he did what, what he thought should be done and he took care of everything and it was his decision. And it just uh, – even though I was moving ahead in my professional life, it just was just really, you know, it just wasn't fulfilling or supportive. And I just knew that it wasn't going to be good. I didn't want to leave when my kids were younger. I, when, I was, when they were really young, I didn't have the courage to do it. And then when they got older and they were in high school and then they were going to go to college, and um, he paid for them to go to college. And he would, I had two children, I have two children, uh, he paid for college, and then he would buy them a car. And I knew that if I was to get divorced at that point, he, he would be saying, oh, well, you know, no way I can do college now, you know, or mm. I'm not getting a car, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I thought, oh, I, I don't even want to get into that. And I just waited, and I just waited. And, and then I finally, I finally did it. I started a year ahead of time. I went to see an attorney, and I found out everything I needed to do and everything I needed to get, and I got all my ducks in a row way before. And uh, then I was talking to my friends, and there were three people who said that I could be with them for a short period of time once I left. I made sure I had a place to go. I mean, not everybody Mm -hmm. has the advantage of doing it the way I did it, obviously, um, but that's how it was for me. And so I had a place to go, I had a job, and I had all my papers and everything I needed. And I just, when I left, he was away. And so when I left, I just took things with me that were very valuable to me, just in case I couldn't get back into the house again. So that's how I did it. And, um, you know, that it, it was kind of nerve-wracking doing it. (laughs) I can only imagine. I'm impressed by the planning that you did. I'm I'm curious to know if your husband, uh, well, I think I know the answer to this. Your husband was the main income earner. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that that being the primary breadwinner for the family um, caused some of the I'm going to call it my own words, the kind of superior attitude towards you. Do you think that had something to do with it? I I don't know. I don't think everybody is like that. I mean, I'm in a marriage now where we share everything, and my present husband, he has a little bit more than I do, 
but it's not, you know, we share, you know, so it's, it's, it's just not an issue. I don't know. It's, it, we just have a beautiful relationship, and we help each other, and we're there for each other, and we share. And, you know, my ex was like, I, I mean, I could ask, I'd have to ask him if I needed additional. I mean, I had money from my job, so I would pay for certain things. We kind of got into a pattern over the years that most couples do, you know, and my salary just kind of, we never discussed it, but it just kind of evolved into I would pay for the kids' clothes and the cleaning lady and my clothes and, you know, that kind of thing. And he was handling the bills and the mortgage and all that, which is great. Uh, But if I needed something beyond what I could do with my own salary, I would have to, you know, would have to be, I'd have to plan how I would ask him for it. And, you know, he didn't think, if he didn't think I should have that, or we don't really need that for the house, we don't really need a new couch, we don't really need this. It Mm -hmm. it was always a battle to have to Mm -hmm. spend the money. And just very uncomfortable. And I knew it wasn't, that's not the right way. I didn't want to live like that. I just didn't want to live like that. So, and that's, I think that was just his nature. But I think other men who are the major breadwinner, uh, I think maybe wouldn't have that. And I think it's important to discuss that when you're dating someone, uh, you know, how they ha- how they like to handle their finances, you know, and kind of get a handle on that ahead of time. Yeah, well, it's definitely an an area of interest that I think a lot of I, I think a lot of women who um, would like to get out of the marriage don't do so because of the financial worry that accompanies that because they are dependent on their husband's income for their survival. Right. And, uh, and what goes along with that, but, you know, I do some work with the, some consulting work with uh, Mainline Family Law Center, and I have the honor of talking with a lot of couples, the wife being the dependent spouse. And I, I, I tell you, the stories of many of these women feeling very much devalued because they are the dependent spouse is mm-hmm. its own intriguing, concerning <laughs> um, yeah. field because there is something to be said about mm-hmm. the person who makes the most money may right. feel that they have the most power right, and the right. most say. And the one person who doesn't has little to say and there's, uh, the feeling of being under, unappreciated and devalued and that w- your voice doesn't matter. I, I know I felt that way in my my marriage. I was the dependent spouse, although well-educated, and before kids I had a career and had my own income, but then once kids came along and the dynamics changed, there was definitely an imbalance in the relationship where I, I felt very much uh, devalued and that my right. voice had no value uh, whatsoever, and, and he was the one that made the decision. Um, so anyway, I was just curious about that because I know those listening may catch on to that piece and feel and find that as part of their own story as well. Right. So I'm I, sure I know it's very common. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is. Um, so I want to I want to spend as much time as possible on this resilience that you have. Uh, garnered for yourself, the, the resilient woman that you are, how did you get there and what are some of your tips and strategies for the listeners to be resilient through, through what has to be the most gut-wrenching experience of our lives? 
Right. It it definitely it definitely can be. And then there are other things that you know, life is sometimes a rocky road. You may not have these really extreme situations all the time, but you know, you you have this divorce situation and then other things come up, you know, during the during your lifetime, uh and you have to call upon your your skills for resilience, and it's definitely something, it's a muscle that can be built, and it's not so hard, really, um, and it's just so valuable, and it really helps us to get through many things, and one of the things I'm working on is actually a talk that I want to give, and I'm calling it the three M's of resilience, um, getting through the tough times without a crystal ball, and mm. um, from my research and from my own experience, I kind of distilled that there are three M's having to do with resilience. So I just wanted to briefly share that yes. uh, with everybody today and hope that you can take away something from that. Um, now, so just first, before you go into that, before you go into the three M's, yeah. Ross, real quickly, I, I think I love the title. You said, Getting Through Tough Times Without a Crystal Ball? Uh, getting Through the Tough Times Even... I'm sorry, getting through the tough times without a crystal ball. Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. Without a crystal ball. Wouldn't we love to have the crystal ball? My goodness. Um, But in the absence of a crystal ball, you're going to give us these three strategies, which I think are going to be really great. So let's hear the first. You know, a lot of things are are really in the unknown. And Mm -hmm. I was just telling Pamela uh, before our call that I'm dealing something Right now I'm dealing with something, and I used these strategies myself yesterday um, when I had, to have, um, I had to have ultrasound on my breast, and they found two small areas that are in question, and I have to have biopsy. And I can't have the biopsy for three weeks because everybody's on vacation, and the other oh. site, they can't give me an appointment. So I have oh. to... I have to wait for three weeks, and yesterday, just waiting in the office there and just waiting for these results, I was using some of the things that I'm going to share mm-hmm. with you today, mm-hmm. yeah. and, uh, because I'm in the unknown. Hopefully, everything is fine, um, mm-hmm. and that will be great, but in the meantime, we don't know what we don't know. So yeah. the first of the three M's is mindfulness, and actually, the three M's are mindfulness meaning, and mindset. And mindfulness has to do with our thoughts. And I think it's probably common knowledge today that thoughts really hold energy and that thoughts are actual things and they have power. And thoughts are used to create things. Every single thing that you have in your life, your car, your bed, what you're wearing started with a thought thought of a designer and thought of an engineer or whatever. So everything starts with a thought, and it, not just with things, but also with our health, how we think about health, what are our beliefs about our health, and these can create situations. And I think we've all known people who um, you know, maybe have negative thoughts about health and they kind of develop all kinds of problems and then they obsess over the problems and, you know, it, mm. it goes on and on. So it does affect the health and it affects our lives. And uh, there's a very famous saying by Henry Ford. He said, if you think you can or can't, mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's important, uh, you know, of, of how we are uh, thinking 
about those things, our mindfulness and controlling our thoughts. And I remember when I first came back from um, out of state and I was just, my anxiety was out of control. And these are some things that I did and I was doing it yesterday too. It really helped me and I did it this morning and here I am on this call. Uh, So I'm really controlling what's going on in my brain and um, not denying what's happening, but I'm feeling calmer about it. And one of the things I did was I closed my eyes and I kind of do a body scan and I just go from the top of my head and I kind of do like a check, like a little checklist through my eyes and my face and my throat and I just go down, is everything okay? And how is everything right this minute? Right this minute, not tomorrow or next week, mm-hmm. or am I mm-hmm. going to have the money or you know, whatever, you know. But how is it right now? Do I have a roof over my head? Am I? Do I have food? And I have a place to sleep, and just go through bit and just right this minute. How is everything right this minute only? And then you most likely will find that right this minute everything is okay, and mm. that's one of the things that I did. And I did it several times a day in the beginning. The first, you know, couple of weeks, I was doing it a lot. And then guess what? A couple of weeks later, I was doing it less. And then I was doing mm-hmm. it four times a day and then twice a day. And that's how I got through the daily thing uh, is, is doing that. And the other thing uh, for, to help the mindfulness is um, making an appointment to worry. And I've used this oh. with people. And I have... Uh, <laughs> One of my clients, she had children um, who live in Israel, and there was a time when there was a lot of terrorism in the area that they lived, and she was just beside herself, and she said they have to take the car, and they're driving from here to there, and that's the area, and that's a cru- you know, critical thing, and you know the news and all that, and she was just a mess because she was in the United States worrying about her yeah. two married children in Israel. And I said, you know what, you need to stop right now you need to just hold on there. And I said, this is what I want you to do. I said, I don't want you to stop worrying because that's something, you know, you can't say don't worry because then, of course, you worry, right? Yeah. I said, I'm not going to say don't worry. I said, but you know what? Make a time for it. Just say Mm -hmm. 1 o'clock from 1 to 1.30, I'm worrying. And just, (laughs) you know, worry your little brain out, you know. Uh And then in the morning you're doing your laundry, you're going shopping, and if that little thought, creeps in you just say okay there it is uh, I have an appointment with you at one o'clock this afternoon um, we'll discuss it yeah. one o'clock is my time for that one o'clock is my time for that and she used that and she it got her through to one o'clock you know and then she was mm-hmm. able to like review things in her mind or make a telephone call or do what she had to do and that was her time for worrying so <clears throat> Um, that's something that helps a lot of people, and the other I like that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to use that for myself. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that there are a lot of us. Who, we want to say to our friends when they call us or they tell share with us what's going on in their lives. We want to say, "Don't worry, don't worry," and it doesn't help because <laughs> right. we want to worry. Right. But <laughs> give 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 ourselves and our beloved permission to worry within a time frame because thoughts are powerful. If we stay in the thoughts of worry, then we're creating a future we don't want to live in. So when you talk about mindfulness in our thoughts, 
Um, you're, you're, what, are you suggesting that we recognize what we're thinking, see what we're thinking, but then do we stay in that or do we shift to another way of thinking that might be more empowering? Well, we're getting to that. <laughs> um, oh, okay. yeah. So, all right, great. I so you're right about the worrying thing, and you know, I don't know who said this. Somebody said worrying is like praying for something you don't want to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a prayer for something you don't want. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. Wow, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's one of the things, you know. And the other thing is when you have a thought and you say to yourself, is this thought helping or hurting me? Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah. sometimes I get into my little, you know, things that bother me and uh, certain people that I find annoying or whatever. <laughs> and yeah. I think, okay, is this thought helping or hurting me? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, it's hurting me. Okay, so what do you do then? Okay, this, uh, you know, you're recognizing, okay, that's not hurting me, it's taking me down the rabbit hole. And what you do at that point is you have to have a thought ready that's going to be your alternate thought and just have something prepared to think about at that moment. And it could be a scene from a funny movie. For me, it's something funny my grandchild said. Or I can think about a pair of shoes I saw at the mall. And, oh, that wasn't that a cute bag? I don't know, did I like this one better than that one? Or, you know, whatever kind of silly thing or whatever it is that distracts you from thinking about something that you're not going to solve, no matter how long you think about it and you go through that loop, it just goes into a downward spiral. So yeah. is this thought helping or hurting me? So this is, these are just a few things um, that are related to mindfulness. There's so many more things to learn about it, but all these things can help. Those are a few things. And um, the next two things are meaning and mindset. So meaning is what meaning are we taking from our thoughts or Mm -hmm. from this experience? What meaning are we deriving from it? I like to tell a funny story from when I was a kid. And my, uh, I had my little, my little brother was with me and he was, uh, he was about four or five So that would make me like nine. And my mother took us in the car. This was in the early 60s. She took us in the car, and we went to the supermarket. And she left us in the car, in the the parking lot. Now, that's not something you do today. We know that that those days are long gone. But, you know, back in the day, you could do that. She left us in the car by ourselves and with the doors locked. And she went shopping, and then she came back. And I don't know how long we were in there, but... Many, many years later, when my brother was in his 40s, he said to me, he says, remember that day when we were little? Remember when Mom locked us in the car and she went shopping? It was so horrible. It was, mm-hmm. it was, I, I just hated that. I thought it was a terrible thing, and she was so wrong to do that. That was just a, that was a that's terrible parenting, and she never should have done it. And I was mm-hmm. scared, and I didn't like it, and I thought it was bad. He, and, and I'm looking at him, and he said, well, what did you think of it? And I said, I felt like I was so proud that my mother trusted me to take care of my little brother alone in the car. Interesting. <laughs> that she gave me that responsibility. So we both had the same experience, but mm-hmm. we had we drew different meaning from it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So this is, you know, this is uh, something that's very important, and 
there was a man who, uh, her name, his name was Victor Frankl, and he wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He was in the Holocaust. And, you know, it doesn't get any worse than that. And how do you find meaning in that? He was a psychiatrist. He passed away in the 80s, actually. And he was in the concentration camps. He was a prisoner for three years. He was in three different places. And he saw terrible things, and one day was worse than the next. And he, what he did was to stay strong. He, looked, he considered himself like a researcher, and he kind of objectified the situation, and he just kind of was observing it from a researcher's point of view, observing people. And he thought to himself, what makes some people give up? And they, you know, they, they, just, they, they just lose all hope, and they're in despair and depressed, and some of them die, and they get sick and die. And other people are mustering through. They're muddling through. They're using their last bit of energy, and they're, you know, getting through it, and they're living day to day. How, what's the difference between the different people? And he kind of made a study of it, and he took one man under his wing who came to him and said, I just want to kill myself. I, there's no point to this. It's going on and on and on, and I'm, I, I have nothing left. My family is, has died. I'm going to die too probably, and I just want to kill myself and end it. And he worked with this person, and he found out if you didn't die, what would you look forward to when this is over? What would you do with your life, and what would you have? And the man <clears throat> said that he had a book to write, and he just you know, this was his book, and he had planned for it for, you know, a couple of years. He was doing the research, and he was planning on writing the book. It was an important book. He wanted to get out into the world, and that's what he would do. And so Viktor Frankl worked with this man to envision the future and to start mm -hmm. planning what he was going to write about and to think about it and what would go into it and what are the chapters and, like, what's the first thing he's going to do when he gets out? And, you know, and he brought this man back from despair and he made it through the war. And in his book he talks about meaning, finding meaning, and he said, when they take away everything, what remains is your ability to change your attitude in a given set of circumstances, say mm -hmm. yes to life. Oh, that's powerful. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. And, and you know, for, for many of us, uh, really the majority of, of us, the, the, the typical meaning that we place on an experience is I'm not enough or I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And, and, no, and typically, no matter what, ha what the experience is, the common denominator of the meaning that we assign to an experience is I'm not enough in some capacity. And that certainly plagues all of us, unfortunately. And what would our lives be like if we change that meaning from what you're saying mm -hmm. from I'm not enough to I don't know, I'm more than enough. <laughs> I'm smart right. enough. I'm beautiful enough. I'm competent enough. Right, and what is what is life trying to teach me right now? What am, what you know? What am I? What can I bring forth from this situation? At some point, the divorce will be final, and I'm going to be going forth into the world as a single woman. And what can I take from it? What can I take from this challenge? How can I see this challenge mm -hmm. as an opportunity? And I know for me, I this is my opportunity doing what I'm doing now. And I know a woman who. Uh, married a man who had a child with ADD, 
And it was a huge, she didn't have her own children yet, she does now, but at the time she didn't have her own children. And she had to do so much to help the child with ADD, and she, you know, tried to organize him, and she had his, she, she labeled his drawers, and she, she got him a, a, you know, a notebook, and she put little signs everywhere to remind him of things, and all kinds, she did all kinds of things to help him, and because he was just so lost and so confused, and his dad really had no idea what to do, and so mm-hmm. forth. So now, it's eight years later, and this child is 17, and what is this woman doing She's an organizer. She's a professional organizer for adults with ADD. Uh-huh. So when she first went Isn't into this something? marriage with this little boy, yeah. she was just she would cry a lot of the time. She, you know, it just was she was so frustrating, and it was so you know awful and was overwhelming. And now fast forward, and she took something from that. It, it, she she yeah. found meaning in the challenge mm-hmm. that she mm-hmm. had, and she brought it forth into a new form where she's now helping other people. Mm-hmm. So that's we powerful. don't know right now what that's going to be, mm-hmm. but I think everyone who's listening today maybe will plant the seed about that, and when things are said and done, there will be something that they can take away from it. And that leads me to my last point, which is mindset. Mindset. And a mindset is flexibility, your ability to grow. And mm. there's such a thing, you've heard of post-traumatic stress, right, with the mm-hmm. soldiers, post-traumatic stress. There's such a thing as post-traumatic growth, believe it huh. or not. Post-traumatic growth. And that's what we are going to go for here. Everybody who's listening today, we're going to go for not post-traumatic stress and look back and, you know, have the same feelings over and be traumatized. We're going to go for post-traumatic growth. And we're going to look back and we're going to see what the challenge was and how we came out of it and what we brought from it and how it changed us for Mm. for the better for today. And... um, that that's really, I think, a, a very important idea. So does that fit into the post-traumatic? I love that post-traumatic. You come up with these great sayings that are so um, useful. Uh, so does an example of post-traumatic growth, what you did back in your story, how you educated and encouraged yourself to create a new story and you worked on your thoughts and, and self-development, Right, post-traumatic growth started the day. I said, is that how you want people to end the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, from that day forward, it started with the post-traumatic growth. And now I feel, yeah. when I look back and I know what I went through and I was so humiliated and, you know, after 12 weeks being married and after a wedding and everything and coming back after mm-hmm. 12 weeks, oh, my gosh, with mm-hmm. nothing. And yeah. it, it was devastating, all-encompassing, and I, I don't even know how else to describe it. And now I look back on it, and I'm, I'm grateful for it, actually, because it yeah. led me to this point where I'm doing mm-hmm. what I'm doing now, which I never could imagine in my life doing anything like this. It never occurred to me to, to be a speaker and a coach yeah. and talk to other people. And uh, it's just uh, it's amazing, and I'm you know using all these things that I've described to you today, my three M's, I'm using all of them today yeah. for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope that everybody will be able to take something away from that. 
So let's repeat the three M's for our listeners. Yes. The three M's are mindfulness, controlling the thoughts, and the other two go together, meaning and mindset, finding meaning and mindset post-traumatic growth, which I did not coin. That comes from positive psychology. And the, and the meaning, we want to be clear, we always ascribe a meaning to mm-hmm. an experience, but the meaning that you're encouraging us to give to an experience is one that is empowering rather than disempowering. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it might take a little time to see it if you're in the throes of the divorce right now. It's so hard to see that. But keep it in mind because you will see it if you know that there is such a thing and you know that there is such a thing as post-traumatic growth. It's in your mind now, and as the time marches on, you'll see you'll have a little more clarity about it, and you will get there. Yeah. And, you know, I would encourage our listeners to take your three M's, keep a journal, and when you're going through a particular challenge through your divorce or in your divorce, that you write down the mindfulness thoughts, the meaning that you're ascribing to this that's empowering, and the mindset, the flexibility, the post-traumatic growth that you want to remember. Because it's hard when you're going through stuff, it is so hard to control your thoughts. It's so hard to remember what's going well or what went well. You're just, your mind is just racing. But if we could just document the growth that we desire so that when things are tough, we can actually go back and look at what, what we got out of an experience, what we're really moving forward towards. It just makes the journey a little easier, I think. Right. And, and, you know, what you document, you remember, and what you document becomes real, your reality. So right. um, I would really encourage people to do that. Right. Um, there is a journaling exercise which is very effective, and this can help you no matter what stage you are at in the process of divorce. And that is every night to write down one thing that you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And then after that, one thing I'm grateful for that happened today, one good thing, I'm sorry, one good thing that happened today, and why. Ah. One good thing that happened today and why, because you will start to see a pattern in that. And those whys have to do with something that you brought forth from yourself and created. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's yeah, that great. That will help anybody at any stage right this minute. Okay. I love that. These have been some really useful tips and strategies for us to apply to our lives to get through and beyond divorce. Ross, please tell the listeners how to reach you and what's coming up next for you and how they can get involved in it. Sure, sure. Um, I would love to offer the listeners a calm and confident discovery session, which is complimentary. And anyone who's interested can reach me at this email address. It's roscoach1 at gmail.com. It's R-O-Z. C-O-A-C-H, the number one, at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Roz. Mainline Family Law Center can be reached via their website, myhealthydivorce.com. 
spend time on their website because it is full of useful information to help you. The website is beautifully designed and easy to navigate. I can be reached via my website, youcanrecoverafterdivorce.com. Send me a message and let me know what topics or guests you would like for me to explore. While you are there, let me know how we can improve these podcasts so that you can keep listening. Please join me again for another insightful conversation to help you achieve a healthy divorce. Be sure to check MyHealthyDivorce.com for more details. Until then, remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.